All right, if you've got your Bible up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. As we get back in the book of Mark, we took a break last week. Uh, we're going to keep on going through this morning, though. Now, let's set our context uh, for what has been going on. Uh, we've said that there was uh, something that happened back a couple of chapters ago that kind of changes the direction of the book of Mark. And what it is, is the disciples came to the understanding or the realization of who Jesus was. Now, they are still trying to play this out, but we saw beforehand... Um, Jesus constantly told them, how are you not getting what is going on? We saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle to show His greatness, to show His power, to show His strength. And then Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? They responded by, or Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are God in flesh. You are the promised one who is going to come to bring freedom and redemption. From that point on, the book of Mark changes. And so once we are thinking of that or having that in mind, now as we get to Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, we see Jesus continuing to reaffirm to His disciples who He is and what His plan is and what His mission is and what His purpose is. So this morning as we look at this passage, Jesus is showing the disciples in a very powerful way who He is as the Messiah. He's not just like the other prophets that have come before them. He's not like the, the fathers like Abraham and Moses that they looked at and respected. But he is so much more. So if you got your Bibles, look at Mark chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm going to pray, and then we'll kind of work our way back through the passage. Mark 9, 1 through 8 says this, And he said to them, that's Jesus, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. And after six days, Jesus took, him up, or took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured or transformed before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with Him, but Jesus only. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, and I pray that as we look at this incredible story this morning of your transfiguration, God, of, of showing these three disciples, God, how great and powerful and awesome you are. Father God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see your greatness, to understand your power, and God, to be captivated and marvel at how great you are and how much you love us. Father God, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak through your Holy Spirit louder than my voice ever could. And God, that you would be glorified and that you would work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus' plan is the expansion of the kingdom of God. Jesus' plan is the expansion of the kingdom of God. In verse 1, it says to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. Now remember, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's rule in the hearts of people, in the hearts of men and women. If you remember, 
The disciples, the Jews, they were looking for the Messiah to come up, to come establish an earthly kingdom. They were looking for the, uh, the Messiah to come and to establish an earthly reign in Israel, where Israel got to experience freedom again, where, where Israel was the world power, where Israel was dominant. That's what they were looking for, the kingdom of, of Israel to be established, the kingdom of man. But as Jesus Christ came, He came to establish the kingdom of God. He came to set up, instead of an earthly kingdom, a heavenly kingdom in the hearts and the lives of people. We enter into that kingdom, we become citizens of that kingdom, not by our birthright, not because of our bloodline, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through placing our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, recognizing that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, that we enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus' whole plan, His whole purpose for coming was to establish this kingdom of God and to bring people into this kingdom. Now He says to the disciples, He says, Look, there's going to be some of you standing here who will not die until after they've seen the coming uh, or the, the kingdom of God coming with power. Now, there's a couple of things that this could mean. One, it could mean uh, when Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. It could be the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension into heaven, which, which sets up the kingdom of God. The cross and the resurrection is, is the foundation stone uh, for what it means to be saved. Without those, we have no salvation. It could mean uh, the time in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and the disciples begin to preach and they begin to um, share the gospel and preach the gospel and it says over 3,000 people were added to the church that day. It could be the growth and the expansion of the church that the, the disciples all saw before they died. But more than likely what it means, it's just referring to the story that follows right after this, this transfiguration or this transformation of Jesus where He shows them His power, where He shows them His greatness, where He shows them His beauty. In fact, in the synoptic Gospels, what that means is Matthew, Mark, and Luke look a lot alike. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've got a lot of the similar stories. They kind of follow the same outline. And then John kind of sits over here. John has stories that don't exist in the other three. Uh, there's just a handful of stories that exist in all four. And so John kind of sits by itself. The other three are called the synoptic gospels. And in each one of those, Jesus makes this statement and then follows up, the author follows up with the story of the transfiguration. So more than likely, what Jesus is talking about when He says there are some who uh, will not die until the, they see the coming of the kingdom of, with power is this moment when He shows His greatness, when He shows his, his glory before He came to earth, when He shows this power that James and John and Peter uh, get to see. And so what we see here is Jesus, as He gives this prophecy, as He gives this testimony leading into this story, is that He is showing them His power and His purpose in bringing about the kingdom of God. Now, if that's His plan, if Jesus' plan was to see the kingdom of God expand, ours should be the exact same. If Jesus' plan was to come and to die so that people could be saved. Now, we can't do that, but we take that message. We take that gospel and we take it out to other people. Our goal, our plan, not only as a church, uh, as a body, but also as individual members of the church, our goal should be the plan, the purpose of our life, should be to see God glorified and to see lives changed. To tell people about Jesus, to invite people to church, to pray for the lost, to support missions. Our goal should be the kingdom of God expand. 
Because the kingdom of God is eternal. Everything in this life is not eternal. It is temporary. Everything in this life will break, will fall apart, will die. God and His kingdom is eternal. And so what we should be about, especially as believers, is trying to see as many people enter into God's kingdom as we possibly can. All right, so that leads us to verse 2. We see that Jesus prepares His people for His kingdom even when they don't realize it. Now in the first part of verse 2 it says this, And after six days Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now, Peter, James, and John are kind of the inner circle. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus loved them more than the other disciples, but it means that they had a closer relationship with Jesus. And in that, we see that Peter, James, and John were here at the Transfiguration. They were there with Jesus when He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then they got called even closer to Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane when they were supposed to be praying before Jesus was crucified. So we see there's a handful of times when these three disciples kind of get a little bit of a, of a better taste or a little bit of a closer taste of, of who Jesus is and, and how great He is. And there's a reason for that, I think. One, let's look at who they are. Peter. Peter was the de facto leader of the disciples. He was the one that was the mouthpiece. He was the one that was always answering questions. He was the one that at Pentecost begins to preach. He was kind of the the, the face or the leader of the disciples. And so um, he experiences these because uh, there's a lot riding on him when it comes to influencing these other men and being a leader. So he needed to be convinced... uh, greatly before Jesus even dies and leaves of who Jesus is. Then you've got James. James was the first disciple to be martyred for his faith. He was the first disciple to be killed for his faith. It tells us in Acts chapter 12 that, uh, that uh, Herod had James killed. So he was the first disciple to give his life for Jesus. If he wasn't convinced of who Jesus was, he never would have done this. And then John was, was the one that Jesus loved, that he was the one that, um, that might have been just emotionally, just relationally closest to Jesus. He was the one that wrote several epistles and that, that God uh, gave the blessing of being able to receive the revelation, the book of Revelation. John wrote that. And so all three of these men played a very important part uh, of the gospel or of the, the church being started. And what we see is this event left a big mark on their life. Listen to John write in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-2. through 2. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So John's talking about Jesus there. He says, this Jesus, we have touched Him. We've spent time with Him. He was made manifest to us. This is who we're talking about. We have experienced Him. Then listen to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So he's telling them, look, when we told you about Jesus, when we told you about the gospel, this isn't something that was made up. This is not a myth. This is not a creation of man. Verse 17, For when, we, for when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my Son, or this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. 
Peter is referencing this event. Peter is referencing this transfiguration or this transformation when Jesus shows them his glory, saying, look, this left an impact on my life. Once Jesus was resurrected and I realized and all the pieces kind of came together and I saw who he was and I saw how powerful he was. And I remember this event on the mountain when he shone like the sun, brighter than the sun, and he showed this glory from heaven. It reaffirmed in my heart that this was not just a teacher. This was not just a prophet. This was not just a guy. This was Jesus. This was the Messiah, God in the flesh. God stepped down from heaven, down to earth to save us, to die for us. Now, Understand that part of the ministry that Jesus is doing for the three years before he goes and dies is he is investing in these 12 men. He's pouring into them because he knows that when he leaves and the church begins to spread, that that he is going to use these disciples. These are going to be the ones that are out sharing the gospel. These are going to be the ones out starting churches. These are going to be the ones out preaching and teaching and praying and that God is going to use. And so God is taking these three years and he's preparing them and getting them ready and he's showing them these things even if they don't fully grasp it at the moment, even if they don't fully realize what's going on. What we'll see next week is they didn't, they, they, they left them kind of mind boggled. They didn't know what was going on. But once Jesus was resurrected and it all ties together, we see that Jesus is preparing them for what he's going to do with them later on. There's a truth that we can pull from this. God is always at work in your life. God is always at work in my life, even if I don't see it. Even if I don't understand it, even if I'm going through a very difficult time in my life and I don't see the way out or I don't understand the purpose, I don't know why it's happening, I believe that God and His sovereignty, God and His love is working in my life to prepare me and get me ready for how He's going to use me later on. God is going to use what is going on now, whether it is good, whether it is difficult, for something down the road. We see this in Scripture. Paul commands the, uh, the church in Corinth. He says, look, you're going through difficult times right now and God is comforting you and God is building you up through this so that later on down the road, you in turn can comfort people with the same comfort that you've been comforted with. God is working in our lives right now to prepare us for things down the road even if we don't fully realize it or understand it. So as we go, let, us, let that kind of help shape our perspective. When we are going through situations right now that might be difficult, understand the Bible says that God works all things to good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. If we are striving to love God, to obey God, to follow God, and we are believers, then God is going to work all things ultimately for our good. For His glory and our good. And so understand, let that kind of shape our perspective that when we're going through those difficult times in life, when we're going through those trials, that God is at work and God is doing something. Even if it doesn't seem like it, God is. Okay. So next we see that Jesus' divinity is the foundation of the kingdom of God. The second half of verse 2 and verse 3, it says this, And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now the word transfigured means transformed into something more beautiful or elevated. And so they're sitting here with Jesus, and and all of a sudden, he goes from looking like a normal man to, to shining the brightest white that they could ever see. 
In fact, not only were his clothes changed, but uh, Matthew and Luke talk about how his appearance, that his face changed as well. Matthew 17, 2 says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Luke chapter 9, verse 29 says, And he was, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. This is an incredible event that is happening here. As Jesus stands before the disciples, all of a sudden he is transformed into something more beautiful and something more glorious than they could ever have imagined. And what they are seeing when Jesus transforms, when He is transfigured, when all of a sudden He begins to shine bright white like the sun, is He is showing them the glory and greatness of who He is outside of His earthly body. You see, when Jesus... Jesus has always been. Jesus was not created uh, whenever Mary had Him. Jesus is part of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. He has always existed. And before He came to earth, He existed in heaven in perfect glory, just like God the Father. And He steps down to earth and He puts on human skin, human flesh. And in this moment, He shines and He shows them even just the smallest glimpse of the glory that He existed in in heaven. Look, we see throughout Scripture this idea of whiteness, this idea of the the appearance of clothing, just kind of this bright white, showing uh, God's uh, purity, showing God's righteousness, showing God's holiness. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel has this vision of God, and he says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair, uh, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. In Luke 24, 4, as the angels come, um, or the angels are standing at the tomb after Jesus has resurrected, it says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Luke used that word dazzling when he described Jesus in the transfiguration. Then Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. We see throughout Scripture that this idea of this dazzling white, this white like sunlight, this this white the way Mark said it, that, that no one could ever bleach anything that white. It is showing the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of God, the glory of God. And so what Jesus does is He strips away His humanity in this moment, and He gives them just a, a slight glimpse into who He is, and into His power. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and verse 14 says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. When he pulls off his flesh, or he is transfigured, and he shows them his glory. He is showing them how he existed in heaven before he came to earth. He's showing them that he is God in the flesh. He is showing them that he's not just a normal person, but he is God in greatness and in glory and in power. Philippians 2, 6-7, listen to this. These are some of my favorite verses. 
says who, talking about Jesus, it says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Let's understand this. One of the great beauties of the gospel is that Jesus left heaven to show us the love of God. Understand, when God, when Jesus existed in heaven, when He lived in heaven, He sat on a throne, He was praised 24-7 for all of eternity. There are multitudes of angels that their only existence is to stand around God and praise His greatness. And when it was time for Jesus to be born of a virgin, He stepped down out of the perfection and glory of heaven, and He put on mortal flesh that gets tired, that gets sick, that gets hurt, that gets uh, angry or upset, that gets uh, abandoned and feeling alone. And He put on this flesh, and He became a human, and became on a man, or became a man to live like us. He gave up the glory, He gave up the, the the adoration and the praise, and He existed as a man who would eventually get spat on and cursed and hit and beat up and shunned and ultimately hung on a cross to die for you and for me. One of the beauties of the gospel is everything Jesus sacrificed to live on this earth for 33 years so that you and I can know the love of God. And as this transfiguration is happening, He is showing them the greatness that He existed in before He came to earth. But He's also showing them the greatness that He exists in once He's going to uh, go back into heaven and then when He comes back the second time. Luke chapter 21 verse 27, it says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Revelation 1-7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. As Jesus is showing them this greatness, His glory, His power, He's saying, look, this is who I was, and I'm coming back again one day, and I'm coming in the same power. I'm coming in the same glory. I'm coming in the same uh, strength and ability This is who I am. I am God in the flesh. I am powerful. The reason why we need to be about expanding the kingdom of God, the reason why the the, the kingdom of God is so important and so powerful is because Jesus is the one behind it, powering it. He is the one strengthening it. He is the one saving people. He is the one drawing people to Himself. And we do not serve a weak God or a weak Savior, but we serve the God who is creator of all things, who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous, and who is just in all things. And He is the one who loves us. He is the one who sent His Son to die for us. He is the one who gave up the glory of heaven to suffer on the cross for you and for me, not because of how great we are, because of how awesome and powerful He is. That's the God that we serve. That's why the kingdom of God is so important. So next in verse 4, we see that Jesus is superior in His provision for salvation. Verse 4 says, And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So as he is transfigured, as he is transformed, we see Elijah and Moses alongside of him talking. Now, Elijah and Moses represent the Old Testament. Uh, Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. And so here, standing with Jesus, you have the law or the representation of the law and the prophets. And while they recognize them as Moses and Elijah, there's nothing that says that they are shining with the greatness and the glory that Jesus is. 
And what this is telling us, what this is showing us, is that Jesus is the only way for salvation, that Jesus is superior. Remember, the Jews, they took the law and the prophets. They took the Old Testament, and they said, if you want to be saved, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to go to heaven one day, if you want to have a right standing before God, then you've got to follow all the laws and do as good as you possibly can. You've got to follow the law of the prophets. You've got to follow the, or not the law of the prophets, the look towards the teaching of the prophets. But you've got to follow the law step by step, and then you can earn salvation. And what this picture is showing us on this mountain is that Jesus is superior to the law and the prophets. Jesus is the only way for salvation. Any other way that anyone else ever tries to find salvation, it will fail. Not only does he, <clears throat> is he greater than the law and the prophets, but, but ultimately Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Matthew 5, 17. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came because the law and the prophets pointed to him. That was their purpose. Now the Jews, they missed the point. The Jews, they got everything kind of jumbled around. But the point of the law and the prophets was to point to the coming Messiah, was to point to the coming salvation of Jesus Christ. Look, in reality, we still live in a world, and it might not be through following the Old Testament law, but we still live in a world where people think that they can earn their salvation. As long as the good outweighs the bad. As long as karma is in their favor. They can earn some kind of salvation once this life here on earth ends. And in reality, no matter how strongly they think that, no matter how strongly they may believe that, that is not the case. There is one way to salvation and one way only, and that is Jesus. This is why we need to have the same plan of Jesus and seeing the kingdom of God expand because anyone who trusts in anything other than Jesus for salvation will not find that salvation. If you are in this room this morning and you have never repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, let me tell you that God sent His Son to show you His love. And the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning your life can be changed. By placing your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're in this room and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what? We are surrounded by people that we work with, who are our neighbors, who are our family members, who do not know Jesus. And while our eternity might be settled, theirs is not. And God has left us here on this earth to give us the opportunity and the blessing and the commandment and the charge to take the gospel out. To tell other people about how desperately they need Jesus Christ and His salvation. Here's one of my favorite quotes, and this should be uh, the the passion or the drive or the the foundation of our heart when it comes to uh, evangelism. It's from a, a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. He says this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Without Jesus, all we deserve is hell. And yet God loved us so much that He sent His Son from the glory of heaven to put on human skin, human flesh, so that we might have salvation. 
And He has given us the charge to tell as many people as we can about that grace, about that gospel, about that act, so that other people will be saved. Then as we enter into the kingdom of God, we need to know that Jesus is our authority as we enter into the kingdom of God. Look at verses 5 through 8. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Understandably so. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Now, a couple of things to point out here. One, we talked about a second ago how Peter was kind of the mouthpiece of the disciples. He was the one that said, you are the Christ. He's also the one that kind of makes this, uh, um, kind of puts his foot in his mouth right here because he's shocked. He doesn't know what to say. And instead of just not saying anything, um, some people just don't know how not to say something. So he's got to say something, uh, even if he says something foolish. And what he's saying here is that he says, let's set up the three tents. Is he's comparing and, and putting on the same level Jesus and Moses and Elijah. When he says, let's set up three, these three tents, these will be three places of, of remembrance, three places where we can come and worship, three places where we will uh, remember and kind of have this um, thing to show what had happened here. And what he's doing is he's putting Jesus and Moses and Elijah all on the same level. Now, he just made this other statement about Jesus being the Christ. Uh, and so more than likely, this is just coming from him just talking when he shouldn't be talking. But what happens is once he says this, a cloud overshadows them and God the Father speaks. This is my son. Listen to him. And God is taking this, this mistake of Peter and using it as an opportunity to affirm, reaffirm who Jesus is. This is my son. This is God's son. This is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah. You've seen his glory. Now I'm telling you, twice we see in this story the greatness of Jesus. Jesus as God. And he tells them, this is my son. Listen to him. Follow him. Obey him. Trust Him. Submit to Him. Surrender to Him. Love Him. Follow Him. Honor Him. When He says, listen to Him, He's saying, give Him your life. He is the one that is to lead. You are the one that is to follow. Part of this is, yes, directed at Peter. Peter, quit talking and just follow Him. But it's also directed to us. Jesus is our Savior. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, He is your Savior. Part of being a Christian means that we follow Him. We listen to Him, we obey Him, and we love Him. And so as Jesus' plan is the gospel, our plan is to share the gospel. As Jesus is righteous, our plan is to live in righteousness and obey God. As, as Jesus loves us, our response is to love God by following Him and obeying Him. He is the Son of God. Listen to Him. Follow Him. Let Him shape the direction and the purpose of your life. Let Him decide who you are and what is most important to you. Let Him lead you and guide you and be your God. And then just like that, it's over. So, what does this mean for us? What do we walk away with this morning? One, it's a great reminder of who Jesus is. Jesus is, not a, Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is not just a great teacher. Jesus was and is the Messiah. He was God in the flesh who came to die on the cross so that we might have life. 
Jesus came on earth to establish and to build His kingdom or the kingdom of God. So the first question that I want us to ask this morning is, where do you stand in the kingdom of God? Are you a citizen? Has there been a place or a time when you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Or are you on the outside looking in? If you're on the outside looking in, the door is open. And the door is Jesus. All we have to do is place our faith and trust in Him. Cry out to Him for salvation. Confess that we are sinners and that we need Him. The Bible says that you will be saved. Maybe you are a Christian and yet you're going through a difficult time and, and, and your perspective is off and you're just focused on, on what's going on in your life. Understand, God has not left you. Understand God is still at work in your life. Understand God has a plan and a purpose for what you're going through. Keep your eyes on Him. Set your heart on Him. Keep your mind set on Him. And once He brings you through, you'll see uh, a glimpse even of what He's been doing. And then for us believers, are we burdened for those around us who do not know Jesus? Is our, are our hearts burdened for those that if they were to die tomorrow, if they were to die today, that they would die and spend an eternity in hell? Because that's the reality. If, if, if we're not, then let us pray and beg God that we would have the same passion that Charles Spurgeon had, that if they're going to go to hell, let them go with our arms wrapped around their legs, begging them to trust in Jesus. Because without that, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no life. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. We thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity to uh, gather this morning to sing praises about your greatness and to study your word. Father, I pray that you would place on our hearts, Father God, just a, a... For those in here who know you, God, just place on our hearts a burden, God, to share your gospel. God, remind us of your sovereignty and your goodness and your love when we were going through difficult times. And God, I pray for anyone in here who does not know you, God, that this morning would be uh, the morning of salvation, that this would be the time where they turn their eyes to you, they turn their faith to you, and God, they trust you uh, for their eternity. God, we love you, we thank you, we pray that you would be at work this morning. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.